Shining the spotlight on the future of hockey. Hey, it's Ty Smith of the Spokane Chiefs. It's Adam Bocas. Hey, it's Joe Valeno from the Drummondville Voltigeurs. Hey, it's Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. Hi, I'm Dominic Fox. I'm Jacob Bernard Docker of the Oak Hills Oilers. It's Joe Bryan. Hi, it's Barrett Hayden of the Sioux Greyhounds. Brady Kachuk from the Boston University Terriers. Major Junior. In the 100th year of the Memorial Cup, the Ankeny Panthers T-Tall have won it for the first time. NCAA. Everybody in that Bulldog section's on their feet. The bench is ready to party as the UMD Bulldogs are back-to-back national champions. The World Juniors. Time winding down, and Finland has won the World Junior Championship in Vancouver in spectacular style. The NHL Draft. The Buffalo Sabres are proud to select Trollunda defenseman Rasmus Dahlin. And more. Oh, yes! Oh, my goodness. We're not going home yet, baby! This is the Pipeline Show. Here we go. Welcome to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. I am Gee Flaming. It is Good Friday and uh, lots of uh, exciting hockey to be played this weekend as the uh, conference finals in the Canadian Hockey League get set uh, to go this weekend. A couple of those series have already begun. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, the... We'll give you updates as well on uh, what's happening uh, south of the border, uh, the AJHL playoffs as well, and of course we can put a bow on the NCAA season. We always started off though with the question of the day, uh, which I put up on uh, Twitter yesterday, a pretty simple one actually about content for the show this week as uh, a planned interview I had with a uh, 2019 eligible player fell through at the uh, extreme last minute. I was supposed to speak with him early on Thursday morning and... um, I got a message in the middle of the night uh, from the team that uh, uh, he wouldn't be available. Uh, so I had to uh, put out the call and uh, uh, try to make some uh, last-minute adjustments and, and find somebody at the last minute. That also fell through. Anyway, the, col- the poll question that I put out was uh, what you, the audience, would want me to do. Just go with the three interviews that I already had, try to find somebody at the last minute, maybe pull something out of the uh, the vault uh, from um, the, uh, the last uh, – 13 seasons of the Pipeline show. Now we're in nearing the end of uh, season 14 right now. Uh, or uh, do you want me to sing Adele? And uh, that was a joke because I'm not doing that again. I did that on the air during an Oil Kings game. Teddy Bear toss goal. So if you're one of the freaks that uh, voted for that one, which was by far the runaway uh, vote getter on the poll, uh, which was not funny or kind of funny, depending on how you look at it, um, you can go back and listen to that game uh, from a couple years ago. Three years ago? Not sure. I don't remember. I've erased it from my memory. I'm sure somebody will uh, repost it, dig it out, and uh, retweet it or something like that. I'm sure. So anyway, the next uh, vote getter was uh, to find a last minute replacement. I, I attempted to do that. Uh, it didn't uh, work out. As uh, well, I'm not going to put her on blast or anything like that. But uh, I will endeavor to uh, find someone that particular person again shortly because I wanted to uh, preview the playoffs for this particular league and uh, could not get anybody from the league anyway so uh, we go to the next uh, uh, option and that was um, uh, to pull something out of the vault and uh, the suggestion came from uh, low tide alan mitchell with uh, tsn 1260 in edmonton uh, who wanted to hear uh, a particular interview with uh, rob shrimp from back in the day uh, shrimp was originally drafted by the oil king by the oil kings by the edmonton oilers uh, way back in, uh, what, 2004, uh, I was doing the draft that year for what was then Team 1260, before it became TSN 1260. 
it was myself and uh, Bob Stoffer back then, uh, at a place in uh, downtown Edmonton, and uh, we did that. Uh, we did that draft uh, live on the air, and uh, had Rob Shrimp on the air during the draft. But uh, I don't have a copy of that interview, which is the one that uh, Low Tide wanted to hear, uh, because the Pipeline Show didn't start until 2006. I have all the interviews from the history of the Pipeline Show, uh, but not from before that. So I don't have that particular interview. And then uh, Dean Millard mentioned, former co-host of the Pipeline Show, uh, mentioned that one of the good ones with uh, Shrimp would be there was a time period when he was still with the property of the Edmonton Oilers. He was playing on the farm, and uh, Craig McTavish had been asked about the Shrimp, and uh, they had recalled somebody. I don't. I think it was Ryan Patolny or something like that. And he was asked why you wouldn't call Rob Shrimp up. Uh, and uh, Mac T kind of lost his mind and uh, really carved him. Uh, and we we had Shrimp on right after that. And uh, we asked him a lot of very tough questions, to be honest with you. Uh, and uh, some of the questions, I re-listened to the interview. I was like, I can't believe we asked him that question. I can't believe he answered that question. Uh, and there were a few of those. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a uh, snippet from uh, 2009. And uh, I'll share that with you later on in the show as well. It'll be myself and Dean Millard. So a little bit of a, a throwback to uh, the good old days when we were together on radio in Edmonton. It was, I think it was, I'm not even sure if it was TSN 1260 at that point in 2009. It still might have been Team 1260. Uh, but whatever, we own it. Okay, so that was the poll question. The poll question is always brought to you by the Edmonton Oil Kings. The uh, Oil Kings are on the road. They're in Prince Albert getting set to take on the mighty Prince Albert Raiders. It's round three of the WHL playoffs. Ra uh, games three and four, the next home games, are uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday. You can get tickets for that at oilkings.ca, Ticketmaster as well. Uh, and from what I'm told... The uh, the games in PA uh, completely sold out. Much smaller arena, obviously. Um, but apparently there are hordes of uh, Prince Albert fans who will be traveling to Edmonton for games three and four, which I think is fantastic because, quite frankly, uh, I've been disappointed with the uh, the ticket sales for the Oil Kings home games. They're getting like uh, 6,000 people, 6,400 people. Like there was like uh, 5,800 uh, at one point last round as well. So... Uh, when you have a building that holds almost 19,000, or it's, it's, what is it, 19 and a half, 18 and a half, uh, and you're only uh, selling a third of the tickets, yeah, I think it's great that fans from the other team are going to come. Make the building loud, I think that'll be terrific for both teams. So uh, if you're an Oil King fan, though, and you want to get tickets, don't just uh, assume that uh, they'll be there, because it sounds like uh, half of northern Saskatchewan might be on its way to Rogers Place uh, for Tuesday and Wednesday. All right, that's the question of the day. Let's get to the news and notes, and that is going to be a CHL uh, playoff update. Here's what's happening. I just mentioned the Oil Kings and the PA Raiders. Game one goes tonight. The other series, the Western Conference Final, sees uh, Spokane and Vancouver. Uh, they collide. That one starts uh, about an hour and a half later, but also gets going tonight. In the Ontario Hockey League, the, uh, the two conference finals actually started yesterday. So game one in the books the Ottawa 67s with an empty netter. Uh, they defeat the Oshawa Generals by a score of 6-4. to four. The other game saw the Guelph Storm. Now, remember, they just got to the uh, they got past the London Knights. I believe it was on Tuesday. Two nights later, they're playing already in the conference final first. So uh, absolutely zero rest 
uh, for the Guelph Storm. And they took it on a chin as the Saginaw Spirit pumped them 7-2 the final. In that one, games, game two in both of those series go on Saturday. So a little bit different that uh, they started on a Thursday. I'm a little curious why that would be, actually, but uh, maybe it just makes sense in those markets. In the uh, queue, the conference finals or the semifinals in the queue, uh, they start tonight as well. It's the uh, number one seed, Rowan Aranda Huskies, at home to the Ramuski Oceanic. And uh, in Drummondville, it's the Halifax Mooseheads taking on the Voltageur. So uh, I think both of those series could be pretty entertaining. Uh, the NCAA uh, season has come to an end. If you were watching the Frozen Four last week, uh, you saw the University of Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs successfully defend their title against the Massachusetts Minutemen. UMass uh, played a, a, a decent game, but boy, the Bulldogs were really impressive in that one. They won it 3 nothing. Kale McCarr was named the Hobie Baker winner. Uh, Greg Carville, head coach of UMass, was uh, given the Spencer Penrose uh, Award as a top coach in Division One this year as well. McCarr has already signed and played with the Colorado Avalanche in the playoffs, scored his first goal in his first game as well. So good to see him uh, already at the next level and having success the USHL playoffs, uh, they started this week. Of course, their first round is uh, like a best of three. Really, really short. Uh, I don't know. Does anybody use best of three anymore? Anyway, the USHL does. Uh, all four of those series uh, ended in two games. Uh, so the rest of the playoffs, the next round gets going. And these are best of fives. Dubuque, who got past Youngstown. Now they start on the road against the Muskegon Lumberjacks. The Cedar Rapids... Rough Riders, they knocked off uh, Team USA. Of course, uh, the U18 squad is over in Sweden right now uh, playing in the U18s. Uh, so the Rough Riders, they advance. They'll take on the Chicago Steel. The Des Moines Buccaneers, they will take on the Tri-City Storm and the Waterloo Blackhawks uh, squaring off against the Sioux Falls Stampede. That is in the USHL's Clark Cup playoffs. Mentioned the Alberta Junior Hockey League. Uh, that uh, ended really quickly. A 4 nothing sweep for the Brooks Bandits over the Spruce Grove Saints. Three of the four games really close, though. Uh, one goal uh, separating them in both of the first two games in Brooks. 3-2, the Bandits win the first one. 3-2, the second game, but that one went to double overtime. Game three, probably the uh, backbreaker. 5-1, the uh, Bandits beating Spruce Grove, and that one was in the Grove. And then 2 nothing, the final game. So the Bandits will move on to the uh, Doyle Cup. The Bandits will take on the... Prince George Spruce Kings. So they go from the Spruce Grove Saints against the Spruce Kings of uh, Prince George. Alex Newhook, uh, the leading scorer in the BCHL playoffs. Pretty notable there. He had 24 points in 15 games. Yeah, it was Vernon and Prince George in the final. Uh, Vernon had played 21 games, so pretty big difference in uh, games played. So uh, notable there when you're thinking of Alex Newhook for the 2019 NHL Draft. All right, here's what's coming down the pipe today. Here's the guest that I have lined up. We're going to speak with uh, Nate Ewell from uh, College Hockey, Inc. He is uh, my guest to put a wrap on the NCAA season. He was obviously in Buffalo, and uh, we have a lengthy conversation about what happened there and also looking ahead to uh, what College Hockey, Inc. does in the off season and getting set for next year. Then we'll uh, check in with uh, Mike Farwell. He's the voice of the Kitchener Rangers. He tees up the OHL Conference Finals for us. Lucas Pancari, who covers... The Prince Albert Raiders, he'll do the same for us in the Western Hockey League. That'll be an in-the-dub segment. 
And then the other guest that I have uh, written down here actually couldn't join us, so uh, that is where we will uh, unvault a conversation from 2009 with uh, Rob Shrimp, who was at the time, I believe, still with the Springfield uh, Falcons, property of the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, we'll unearth that one for you uh, to close out the show today. So uh, that's where we are. We'll start it off, though, with Nate Ewell from College Hockey, Inc. That's next here on the Pipeline Show. McKechnie won it, left half boards, McCarr skates down the boards to the corner, stops up there, then got around a defender to the side of the net, cuts in front, shoots and scores! A thing of beauty, a work of art, Kale McCarr just took over this whole game, dangling a defender out of his skates in the left corner, cutting to the slot untouched. Hey, it's Kale McCarr of the Brooks Bandits, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Ben Bishop. Backhand score! Wow, what a goal! Andy Green. And Ryan Miller were stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! You're listening to the Pipeline Show. Tell me his name again. With Guy Flaming. Who? Welcome back to the Pipeline Show. As it's the NCAA Campus Report segment, uh, as always, brought to you by College Hockey Inc. And uh, for those of you who might have a player in your family, or you might be the player, and you are considering all your options, want to know more about the college hockey path, what you can do is go to College Hockey Inc. I've been telling you that all season long, all year long, well, around the the calendar year. Uh, and uh, it's a great resource, and you might want to get in contact with uh, guys like Mike Snee or my next guest. Uh, we'll just get right to it. Nate Ewell from uh, College Hockey Inc. Uh, joins me now. Nate, thanks for doing this again. How are you? Thanks, Gene. Thanks for the plug. We're always happy to field those calls. Oh, well, terrific. I hope people are uh, contacting you guys uh, over the course of uh, – is there a busy period for that uh, sort of stuff, people reaching out and, and trying to get some more information? For the prospects, there really isn't. It's it's a year-round – recruiting is a year-round game for our coaches and I think for the prospects and uh, our website numbers reflect that. We get a lot of people looking at our FAQ pages and things like that all year round. Okay, excellent. Oh, well, let's go back and uh, revisit uh, last week in uh, Buffalo and the uh, the Frozen Four. Uh, I thought it, they were really entertaining games. Maybe not the, uh, you know, the high offensive number of games, the high scoring games that we've seen from years past, but that didn't uh, take away from the entertainment factor in my opinion. What do you think of the games? I would agree. I thought uh, in terms of suspense, in terms of edge on your seat, it, it was right there. And certainly the uh, going to overtime in one of the semifinals helped with that. Mm-hmm. But I thought even uh, Duluth, you know, they play a uh, precision type of game that's, you know, it, it doesn't lend itself to opening up and being wide open. But it, I think at the same time, it's it's edge of your seat because the games are close. The games are competitive. Uh, they they had a great game with Providence until they tacked on a couple empty netters. And I thought even against uh, UMass, knowing what UMass could do at any moment, um, I think there was a lot of uh, intrigue in that in both those games. Seemed like every team had uh, some interesting sidebar storylines going into the uh, into the games. 
in Buffalo. I mean, you had the youngest coach in the, in college hockey with Denver and the, the possibility of repeat champs uh, for, for Duluth. And, uh, I always have to say Minnesota Duluth or University of Minnesota slash Duluth. I get in trouble if I just say Duluth. I, I noticed you said Duluth. You, I guess you can get away with it, but I can't. Oh, I think with my boss being from Duluth, maybe that gives uh, <laughs> gives us a little leeway here at Kalchaki. <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, but some of those storylines uh, that seem to play out, obviously, Kale McCarr was, uh, ended up being the Hobie Baker winner, and uh, it just seemed like there were a lot of things to keep an eye on, and, and that makes uh, things more intriguing as well, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think each team had a little something that uh, – Gave them reason for hope, reason to believe, reason to uh, to tune in from a, an outsider's perspective. Kale McCarr, you mentioned, I think was uh, sort of a dominant theme the whole time, whether it was uh, during the games, obviously, but also on Friday with the awards ceremony. I thought uh, having a team going for a repeat, and it's been a while, added a, a lot of intrigue and interest because uh, we haven't seen that kind of uh, – college team, college program, bringing back that much talent to a Frozen Four for a second straight year. Well, what I thought well, last year was, I thought they were too young to win last year, and, and then right. they pull it off. <laughs> yeah. So then suddenly they've got all this experience. So, you know, they're still young, but now they've got experience, and uh, well, uh, not to toot my own horn, I picked them out actually at the, in my bracket at the start of the tournament to uh, to win, so um, I, I feel smart, at least. If Let- anything, they were better than when they won the previous year, so it made a lot of sense. That's yeah, for sure. really impressive performance against uh, UMass in that final game, uh, for sure. Uh, let's go back to the Hobie Baker Award on Friday night, and it, it Kale McCarr, as we mentioned, was uh, the uh, recipient of the award this year. All all the uh, nominees were deserved to be there, but I thought it was an easy selection, easy choice uh, to make Kale McCarr, not only because he's Canadian, but obviously that plays a big factor in it. Uh, your thoughts on, on him uh, being uh, the award winner this year? Certainly deserving, certainly an easy choice, as you said. Uh, I think there were a, a lot of great players out there, certainly a lot of great defensemen. He was uh, leading that pack, though, and, and I don't think there's any question that he was. And I thought what, what interested me about him this weekend, you know, there was this storyline for him all year about coming back to school, and obviously he didn't need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was able to improve so much in, in the second year in college. You know, I think it's easy to forget now that he was – just a very good freshman last year. You know, he he wasn't an all-world player as a freshman. He was a good all-league player. Uh, but coming back for a second year, being able to develop a little bit allowed him to become a superstar. And um and he was very appreciative of that. I think one of the great things you've seen the Frozen Four in person, it's a uh, it's a reunion of people who love the game of and particularly love the college hockey level. Mm-hmm. And he reflected that. You know, he he came in on Wednesday and talked about coming back to school and you could sense that Kale McCarr really loved college hockey. I think for, for those of us, you know, sitting and listening to him say that it made us like him even that much more. He's, he's a special guy, special person, and uh, obviously a special player. The uh, other award that was handed out was for the top coach in uh, division one hockey uh, that ended up going to Greg Carvel of uh, UMass. And no question. I mean, going from a five win team two years ago to uh, what were they? 30 wins this year is remarkable. The single best season, though, I thought was uh, I thought it was going to be Eric Lang with AIC, and I asked all four Frozen Four coaches th- that question uh, when I had them on uh, right before the tournament and uh, or before the Frozen Four rather, and a lot of them said Eric Lang as well. Were you surprised by the end result? 
I thought it was a toss-up between those two, and it's neat. Those schools aren't separated by very much in Western Massachusetts. They're they're pretty close together. They played each other during the year. Um, I thought it was a bit of a toss-up when I heard your your pre-Frozen Four show. I started to think, okay, well, the coaches may have a little bit more and and be more invested in what Eric Lang did, and and they certainly understand, I think, how difficult a job he's done to to be able to turn that program around from uh, really building from very uh, bottom rungs of Atlantic hockey to winning both the, the regular season and playoff tournaments this year. Uh, so what he did was remarkable. I thought, I also thought he was great, by the way, taking over the college hockey Inc. Twitter account during the championship game. I don't know if you got a chance to see that, but, uh, but Eric was pretty insightful in there. I did not see that. That's good. I might have to go back and revisit that. That's uh, that's terrific. Worth a look. Worth a look. Uh, all right. Well, the Duluth ends up the uh, University of Minnesota slash Duluth. Uh, the Bulldogs are repeat champions. Hasn't happened since uh, Denver back in uh, the mid, uh, what, 2004, 2005. Why is it so hard to win back-to-back? Well, first is is uh, attrition. And, and you're going to lose people whether the best teams are usually experienced. So you might have some, some seniors that graduate. And certainly Parker McKay is a, a good example there, although he filled the skates of Carson Kuhlman from a year ago. So you hope that guys are, are coming up through the ranks and can, can fill those spots. The other is obviously guys leaving for pro hockey. Mm-hmm. And um, they haven't uh, – I heard saw that Riley Tufty is moving on, uh, signing with the Dallas Stars. But that's going to be the first of a few that they'll have. So the, the job of trying to get three in a row will be that much tougher when you look at that defense and how good they are. I have to assume that, that NHL teams are going to come calling. Well, and uh, maybe they're going to come calling uh, for more coaches as well. Not that long ago, Dave Haxtell, Jim Montgomery. Seems like the uh, the the door has been open now, at least, and and NHL teams would be strongly considering uh, NCAA coaches. Is that that's a good thing, isn't it? I know you want to keep the coaches selfishly. You'd like to keep them, but it's probably a good thing that they get that opportunity too. I think it's a good thing, and and certainly it shows the respect that the highest level of the game has for the coaching staffs at, in college hockey. I don't think it's an easy decision to leave, but um, but mm-hmm. certainly if they want to put a contract like uh, David Quinn got last year in front of you, it's a hard thing to say right. no to, that's for sure. Yeah, another one there, and uh, George Gwazdecki not that long uh, before that as well. So uh, it's it's uh, becoming more of the norm. Also becoming more of the norm, I'm looking at the just a list of the top scorers in college hockey this year. We've talked about the uh, the globalization of the sport over the last number of years, and um, you look at it, and it's it's really come to the NCAA as well. Obviously, lots of Americans when you look at the the top scoring top scorers, a lot of Canadians as well. But now you're seeing flags for Germany and Sweden and Finland and Latvia. Um, college hockey is uh, starting to attract players from all over the hockey world, and that's also a positive thing moving forward, isn't it? It's a great thing because it elevates the the talent pool and the level of play in college. I think what you're seeing, there used to be a very small trickle of these players that came through. And, and actually being in Buffalo, we were reminded of Thomas Vanek, who had a great Frozen Four in 2003. He came over from Austria, played in the USHL, and then played it at the University of Minnesota. Mm-hmm. But you've had a slow trickle of players like that and Carl Hagelin and, and guys who have made an impact in college, gone on to the NHL. And I think that's opened the eyes of the younger players in Europe because now it's a flood. And now we've had three years in a row of record numbers, and we were at 110 Europeans in the college game this year. Wow. So um, th- that doesn't really show any signs of slowing down. I mean, there's certainly limits to, to how many spots are available when you look at the talent that's already here in North America. But um, 
the interest is there. And we have to give a lot of credit, I think, to the junior leagues, especially the, the ones in the U.S. The USHL and North American League have done a great job of welcoming European players and sort of giving them an entry point into the North American game before they move on to play college. Pretty soon you're going to run out of teams. You're going to need more Division One teams. I guess that leads we, into the uh, next question. We do question. need more. Yeah, if, uh, <laughs> if you know any Terry Pagulas, we have a, a distinct need here. Actually, um, Nate Lehman on, on Wednesday, uh, he said, we have 60 teams right now, and he said we could use 80 when someone asked him about the, the European influence in particular. Uh, because he said there's that much interest, there's that much talent out there. And I think what we've seen is that uh, college hockey hasn't kept pace in terms of growth to the, the younger elements of the game. And, and youth hockey has grown to a point, especially in the U.S., where mm-hmm. there's more and more players being produced. And, and it would be great if we could keep pace and, um, and be able to provide opportunities for all those players. It's, uh, it's an expensive proposition, though, as, uh, as Mr. Pagula has, uh, has shown with his donation to Penn State. I think that the great thing that Penn State and then Arizona State shows is that you can make that leap of faith as a, as a university and have success pretty quickly. Yeah, great story with the uh, Sun Devils this year, for sure. No question about that. Nate Ewell from uh, College Hockey, Inc., my guest. Uh, the marketing arm for uh, College Hockey, Division One uh, NCAA Hockey. I guess you, you, do you do Division Three stuff as well? We're actually um, – our board of directors is made up exclusively of Division One schools okay. and, and conferences. Um, but what we we really do hope that our efforts pay off on the Division Three level as well because – there are only 60 teams, so there's not room for everybody at the Division One level. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, well, I know what you guys do uh, in the off season uh, in North America and try to uh, explain uh, what the college hockey path is all about uh, to people in our neck of the woods up here north of the border. I'm sure you do it throughout the United States as well. Uh, we were just talking about the European uh, influence and uh, impact that those players are making. Do you guys go overseas too and do the same sort of seminars and info sessions? We're still a, a, a relatively young and relatively limited funded uh, nonprofit. So uh, Europe isn't quite in the cards for us, although we've had some good communication with some people over there who have helped spread the word. Uh, all our efforts right now are, are focused, at least in person, on in North America. And, and we do travel around and try and get in front of as many kids and, and parents as we can. Uh, I've been to a few of those when you've uh, come out to Alberta. Uh, more scheduled, uh, I'm assuming, this summer? There will be, yes. Uh, a lot of them, um, in terms of our events, focused around the uh, the Junior A showcases. So we'll be out in Alberta around the time of the AJHL showcase. And that just makes it easier for our coaches to be able to attend and get a chance to see some younger players at our event and then the older players at the, the Junior A level. Actually, when we're in Alberta, we'll, uh, we've, we were able to confirm that uh, coming back again this year will be Gary McCarr, Kale's dad. He's been able to come and speak to our group the last two years, and uh, he said he'll put it in his calendar. He'll be there. Excellent. Um, well, just to I, again, I, we want people to uh, contact you if they have any questions. How do they do that? It's uh, collegehockeyinc.com is the best bet. Come on there, and uh, you can find all our email addresses. Most of the information that you could hope to find in terms of recruiting questions is there but uh, it also has our phone number and, and con- other contact information so if there's ever any questions that come up please uh, as I said we're a nonprofit. we're not charging anybody for anything that uh, when they come to ask us questions we want to encourage that because we've, we really feel the more that you know about the college path the better it seems. All right well the uh, college hockey offseason I guess is officially underway in the hockey world there's not much of an offseason it is a, a year-round thing uh, what uh, what types of uh, stuff do you have going on 
over the summer? The draft is a big focus for us um, because obviously a lot of incoming college players will be selected there, and the uh, central scouting rankings have 115 current or future college players on it. So uh, that's quite a group. That's, uh, as far as we know, the biggest that, that there's ever been on those rankings. And um, we'll, we'll be there in Vancouver looking forward to it. We'll also be putting on these seminars and traveling around uh, both the U.S. and Canada to, uh, to get in front of as many players and parents as we, uh, as we possibly can. Before that, we've got a, a quick visit with our coaches. They have a, a, a convention in Florida, so we'll pay a visit to that and warm up a little bit after uh, a long winter. And, uh, and then it'll be, as you say, no off-season. It stays busy. Uh, Nate, uh, what's uh, planned early in the regular season next year? you got the uh, icebreakers at all set? We do icebreakers in Toledo next year, so Bowling Green is hosting that, and uh, it'll be, that'll be another great event. It's always a good way to start off the, se- the season, and uh, it, it's hard to believe, but we'll be back at it pretty soon. Frozen Four next year is where? Frozen Four next year is in Detroit. But not at Ford Field. No, no not Thank at you. Ford Field. We're at the, at the new arena in, <laughs> uh, in Detroit, which is a uh, very good thing. Oh, good. Yes, I'm very happy to hear that. Well, Nate, it was a terrific season. I want to thank you and uh, everybody at College Hockey Inc., longtime supporters of uh, of the Pipeline Show. I think uh, we've had a great uh, partnership for uh, probably over a decade by now. Looking forward to uh, another decade or more. Uh, thanks for your time today. Enjoy if you're taking a little time off before you have to get back to work. Thanks, Guy, and appreciate all that you do covering the prospects from college and beyond. That's Nate Ewell from uh, College Hockey, Inc. Always does a great job when he's on the show and uh, really appreciate all the help and support that uh, College Hockey, Inc. has given the Pipeline show over the last uh, decade or so, as I mentioned uh, with him there at the end. Uh, been out to a few of uh, their seminars when they uh, come out to Alberta. The first one was the first one that I was at was in uh, Spruce Grove. I've also been to one they did in uh, Sherwood Park as well. I think they were in Camrose last year. I didn't make that one. Um, but uh, always great information sessions. If uh, if that's a subject matter that uh, is intriguing to you, if you want to know more about the college hockey uh, path, I recommend when they come back out here or when they are in your neck of the woods, uh, make sure you go. It's, it's always free to attend, uh, and we'll answer a lot of the questions that you might have. They always get a lot of uh, coaches from Division One teams uh, to appear. It's like they'll have a, a Q&A session, an info session, uh, and... Uh, Players and families and parents uh, can ask questions of the coaches in a public forum. So it's uh, all out in the open. It's really good. I highly recommend that you check it out. All right, next up on the Pipeline Show, we will uh, set up the Ontario Hockey League uh, round three of the OHL playoffs conference final in that league. Mentioned that they started last night. Uh, Mike Farwell, voice of the Kitchener Rangers, tells us some more about the four teams that are left standing, who he expects to move on, and why. All of that next here on the Pipeline Show. Hi, this is Drew Doughty of the Guelph Storm. Storm on the power play here. Teed up by Doughty. Scores! Hat-trick goal for Drew Doughty. 4-0 Guelph Storm. You're listening to the Pipeline Show. compares to the smile on a child's face after their wish has been granted. The Rainbow Society of Alberta is dedicated to granting wishes throughout the province to children who have been diagnosed with a life-threatening or severe chronic medical illness. And you can help too. 
view the wishes, refer a child, and donate at rainbowsociety.ab.ca or get involved as a volunteer. Having a wish come true fills a child's heart with hope and happiness. Visit rainbowsociety.ab.ca today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Don't let your dreams be dreams. Just do it! Welcome back to The Pipeline Show. We uh, go to our CHL Insider segment brought to you by our good friends at the store next door out in uh, Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, collecting broken hockey sticks from wherever they can get them. If you've uh, got a group that wants to get together and get collect two, three, four, or 500 sticks, ship them out there, they'll pay for it. And they're going to uh, make some really cool products out of it. Employing people with disabilities. It's the storenextdoor.ca. Go out, check them out and, uh, look at their browse through their catalog. Free to uh, look at the catalog and all that stuff and, uh, see if there's some uh, items you might want to, uh, purchase, put in your sports den or you, you got a sports bar, something like that, your man cave, whatever you like. The storenextdoor.ca. My CHL insider today is the voice of the Kitchener Rangers, Mike Farwell from uh, 570 News in a, Kitchener, Ontario. Welcome back to the Pipeline Show. Uh, Mike, always great to talk to you. How's things? It, it's great to be here, Guy, and I appreciate the phone call, especially since I have so much time on my hands <laughs> this spring. <laughs> the Rangers season ended a little earlier than the last Rangers season did when the team went to the Western Conference Final, so here I am with nothing better to do, believe you me, than talk to you. First round exit uh, for the Kitchener Rangers this year, uh, falling in a sweep at the hands of the Guelph Storm. So you got a really good look at the Guelph Storm uh, going in, uh, into round two in, in their uh, series against the London Knights. Now, uh, the uh, preview of round two that I did on my show, I actually said I thought Guelph would pull off the upset. Uh, I did not think it was going to go the way it did. Pretty exciting series. Uh, London getting out to a 3 nothing lead. Looks like it's going to be over, and Guelph uh, comes all the way back uh, to win four in a row. Uh, I'm sure you watched a lot of that series. Uh, can you put, just recap it, maybe put a historical uh, perspective on how big that comeback was? Yeah, well, to put it in historical perspective, there are two sides to it. The first is it goes down as the biggest collapse in London Knights history. So there's point number one. And on the other side... It is. Uh, it makes the Guelph Storm just the fifth team in OHL history to come back from a three nothing series deficit. Prior to Guelph pulling off that trick in this playoff year, Windsor had done it twice in the past. Peterborough did it, and the Ottawa 67s had accomplished the feat. So the Guelph Storm in rather elite company by doing it, and of course doing it at the hands of the London Knights. And you know, if you had told me before the series began, that the Guelph Storm would beat the London Knights, even if you said they'd beat the London Knights in seven games, I'd be like, yeah, sure, totally could see that happening because the Storm are that good a team. But for it to happen in the fashion that it did is absolutely shocking. There's just no other way to put it. I I saw most of this series, some of it in person, and I'll tell you, the first three games, the London Knights, it was almost as though they were toying uh, with Guelph. The first game was close. But then it was a 7 nothing drubbing. And then going back home to Guelph for game number three, you figure the storm would come out, fire it up, pull out all the cliches you want. And then they did. They played. They, they had their best start, certainly, of the series. But London would go on to just score almost at will later as the game went on. And they win it 7-4. to four, And all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, well, this one, this one is over. You know, Guelph might get the game four, one of them on home ice, and then go back to London and it's all over. But we know how things turned out. It's the 
so-called reverse sweep. And uh, what a finish. Even if you look at Game 7 in and of itself, uh, the Storm jump out to the lead, and then it's one nothing after one. London comes out in the second period. They score 33 seconds in to tie it. Twice more before the period's four minutes old. Now it's 3-1 London on home ice. And this is just what the London Knights do. They're such a great team. They've got such a pedigree. So you would have thought even then, this one's over. Second period end, London is still up by a goal at 3-2. So they're holding lead going into period number three in game seven in their barn. We have just come to know the London Knights as the team that gets those jobs done. They don't fail in these situations. And historically, they failed in game seven as Guelph moves on. So what changed? How did Guelph turn it around? I mean, you mentioned if if anybody had predicted Guelph before the series in seven games, it wouldn't have been an eyebrow raiser. I mean, you flip a coin seven times, there's a good chance you're going to get heads three times and tails four times, but you don't necessarily expect it in consecutive fashion like this. So what changed uh, halfway through the series? I'm not sure anything specifically changed, but I had an opportunity to talk to head coach George Burnett and storm captain Isaac Ratcliffe earlier today. And you kind of, I, I think it would be fair to say you got the answers you expected, but the interesting thing about George is he's been here before he was down with the Belleville Bulls three, nothing in the OHL final to the Kitchener Rangers of all teams in 2008. I remember the series. Well, I covered it. That's when I first got to know George really well. And he brought the Bulls back to three, three, forcing a game seven. Now the Rangers did win that game seven and the OHL championship. But I asked him when I talked to him earlier today, is there, is there a secret, a game-by-game approach? And, you know, he, he kind of sloughed it off, just saying it's believing in the players that are in that room and on the ice for you and telling them to go out there and trusting them to do their jobs. And Isaac Ratcliffe was much the same, a really well-spoken young man, but talked about how the confidence of the team never wavered. And as I said a moment ago, if you told me at the beginning of the series that Guelph would win it and they'd win it in seven, I wouldn't have any problem with that statement or that prediction because on paper, the Guelph Storm is virtually a super team. When you look at all of the players with championship experience, world junior experience, 50 goal scorers, I mean, take your pick of those things. They're all there with the Guelph Storm. So it was just a matter of, you know, that game by game approach, but had to be something along the lines of the Storm just playing the very best hockey they could. And, And maybe, just maybe, uh, the London Knights thought they had this one in the bag, and before they realized it wasn't in the bag, it was too late. All right, well, we got to preview the two conference finals, but uh, just uh, touching on the London Knights for a second, I mean, for people who don't follow the OHL as closely as, as obviously you do, uh, the, the Knights are, I think it's fair to say, probably have the biggest fan base. I think they have the most followers in the CHL of all the teams. They're much, they're very much the New York Yankees of the OHL uh, and um, the the New England Patriots, so They've got a lot of supporters, but they're probably the most hated team in the league as well. Uh, so to see them uh, blow a three goal or three game lead, um, there's uh, a lot of p- fans cheering in the league uh, at that turn as well, aren't there? Fair to say, you are you are absolutely right in everything you just said. And look, London gets the reputation uh, as being the most hated because they win. Everybody, you know, I, listen. I'll tell you right now. I don't like the New England Patriots, and I don't like the New York Yankees. So <laughs> there you go, as this sports fan from afar and essentially for those reasons. So, of course, that's why London gets most of the hate tweets that are out there. And I I can tell you, I tweeted at the end of the game last night, not yet knowing the historical precedence of it being the biggest collapse in London Knights history. But I said that 
the London Knights just did the most un-London thing mm-hmm. ever because you just have, we've grown so accustomed in this league to watching the London Knights just roll. They just keep doing it back to back to back. Uh, Memorial Cup appearance, appearances, uh, division championships. I mean, I could go on and on. Very much that New York Yankees, New England Patriots kind of style. So, yeah, the fans around the league are rejoicing, which, to be honest, I, I have a little bit of a hard time with just the pure sports fan. And you got to recognize excellence. And, yep. and you can say all you want about, uh, you know, how fans, all the conspiracy theories that are out there about how this is being done, how it's accomplished, but it was the Niagara Ice Dogs that were handed sanctions this year, not the London Knights. Everything seems to be above board. I think you got to give Dale Hunter, who will, by the way, coach next year's World Junior Team for Team Canada. You got to give him a boatload of credit about how he coaches this team, how he manages his players, and you have to recognize the success that is there. So, sure, as fans of other teams, you're going to love to hate the Knights, but you really got to hand it to them for what they have accomplished, the consistency that they have played with in a game that we all know is so cyclical at this level. Yeah. Somehow, someway, the London Knights just keep doing what they do. And, yep, fans of other teams are enjoying it right now, but the, the pure sports person, sports fan in me, uh, feels a little bad about that because they just get the bad rap because they're so good. Well, when one of the perennial favorites isn't around anymore, that means somebody else is in for maybe a, a rare opportunity. That would be the Saginaw Spirit. Uh, that's the matchup, Guelph and Saginaw uh, in the Western Conference uh, Final uh, for the OHL. Size up that matchup for me. I kind of like the way the Saginaw Spirit have approached this season. They were going along, they were kind of a preseason darling uh, coming into the eighteen nineteen campaign, even their previous head coach, because that's part of the story here in Saginaw. But Troy Smith was an early pick as a potential coach of the year candidate because they, the team had the right pieces. And, and even if it didn't make it all the way this year, that the thinking was that they're in position in this junior hockey cycle to be there a year from now. Well, what, what happens is I guess general manager Dave Drinkle decided We've got more than we're showing right now because even with his team, they were hovering around 500. I think it was a couple of games above. Right there in the mix of things, certainly not out of the picture, but he fired his coach. Troy Smith was let go, end up going out to Humboldt to finish out his season, and Chris Lazary, the assistant coach at the time, becomes the head coach, and the, every, everything changed. The team went on an absolute tear, played at more than 700, uh, a 700 winning percentage through the rest of the year, and also made additions to an already strong roster at the deadline in the acquisitions of Ryan McLeod and, and uh, Owen Tippett. So uh, guys with, again, uh, NHL contracts, uh, championship experience, you can keep running down the list, and, and a very good team got very much better at the trade deadline. So I really like the way the story has gone for the Saginaw spirit and now being in the conference final, they find themselves further in the playoffs and they have been at any time in their franchise's history. So it's a pretty special thing and it's a pretty bold thing when you consider that you made the moves that Dave Drinkle, the GM did uh, at the time that he made them. Again, there was nothing seemingly wrong from the outside looking in, but he thought we can do more, we can be better. And he's made his team that way. So, uh, there's no question that they have earned their spot here. They knocked off the former Western Conference champs uh, in the second round of the playoffs in knocking off the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds in six. And now they face a team in Guelph that we've already talked about rather extensively that is loaded for bear and has its sights set on Memorial Cup or bust. So the West final to me 
looks like it's going to be money here in the OHL. Well, the Spirit have home ice advantage. Outside of that, is there an advantage for either club when you're comparing them, you know, goaltender against goaltender, defenseman against defenseman, and key forwards against uh, the other team's key forwards? Is there a, an edge that you give to either team, or is this a coin flip too? I want to keep giving the edge to the opposition of Guelph in goaltending because because Anthony Popovich is a guy that's been – uh, sort of battered around as the weak link with the Guelph Storm. But you know what? Every time you watch him, he just wants to prove you wrong. And I'll go back to the Guelph-London series, and in games two and three, particularly game three, I was kind of cringing, thinking, Eesh, okay, here's the Anthony Popovich now being exploited a little bit against some very good London forwards. But what ends up happening? Guelph comes all the way back, and Anthony Popovich was making the saves he needed to make, and then some. So I would still say in this West final, Ivan Prostatov, the goaltender for the Saginaw Spirit, uh, would I would give the edge to. And by the way, if you haven't seen, if nobody has, just Google Ivan Prostatov's celebrations. Yeah. When he is awarded the star, he comes out, does the cartwheels. He's having fun out there. Uh, but other than that, I, I really like the way these two teams match up in terms of size because they're gonna, there's gonna, they can both play heavy games. It will be a physical series, but also the fact that their fourth lines would be the envy of a second line for most other teams in this Western Conference. That's why they are where they are. The depth is absolutely there, and I I think it's going to be fun. And then the fourth line, the last in-person viewing I had of the Saginaw Spirit uh, is a big bruising line, but it's also got some hands attached to it. Uh, Both of these teams can roll four lines at you. They're big, and they're going to be fun. High-scoring affair? Do you think it's a long series as well? I would absolutely think it's a long series. If it doesn't go a minimum of six games, I would be very surprised by that. And yeah, with this kind of firepower, you look at what Guelph had to do to get through the London Knights with the goals they were putting up in the final four games to get through it. Uh, and the Saginaw spirit as well. I think you're going to see a lot of five, six, even seven goal games in, in this one. You know, you might see a bunch of six fours or something like that. I don't think I'll, I'll, I'll put this one on the line for you right now. Guy. If there's a two, one game, in this series, I'll be stunned. All right. Uh, the uh, other series going on, the Eastern Conference Final, uh, everybody expected the Ottawa 67s to be there. They are, and it's the Oshawa Generals knocking off the uh, Niagara Ice Dogs in the last round in a six-game uh, series. Uh, can the Generals keep it going, or are the heavy favorites here, the Ottawa 67s, still the team to beat? There's no question in my mind that the Ottawa 67s would be the favorites and maybe even the heavy favorites at this point they have not yet lost a playoff game sweeping both of their first two rounds and of course they were the team that finished the regular season with the most points but this Oshawa team is a really interesting story that round two victory over the Niagara Ice Dog uh, came at the expense really of the Ice Dog's future much like the Guelph Storm in the Western Conference the Niagara Ice Dogs went out this year and they pushed all their chips in early in the season. It was back in November when they made a trade with the Kingston Frontenacs to get Jason Robertson, uh, who's a Dallas Stars prospect, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but leading scorer, goes on to win the scoring title in the league this year. And then they made a bunch more moves when the trade deadline came around, including grabbing a couple of studs in Studnika and Jack Studnika and Matt Broussard from the Oshawa Generals of all teams. So Oshawa seems to be in sell mode while the Niagara Ice Dogs are buying some of their best assets, and it was much like in Guelph this year. It was an all-or-nothing kind of season for the Ice Dogs, and they lose in six to Oshawa in round two. 
one of the key pieces in all of that was Kyle Kaiser in goal for the generals. He is easily top five, maybe now pushing himself into top three conversation of goaltenders in the OHL this season. And he's a huge reason while they're there, but I was speaking with uh, general captain Kyle McLean earlier today about playing some of his former teammates and the emotions going through that. But I, I think without Kyle letting on too much, this was a, a pretty special feeling for those generals players to be up against the team. Uh, some of the, not only their friends, but some of the best players they had on their roster and beating them as a team to move on to this final against, uh, against Ottawa. And from the 67s perspective, I spoke with coach Andre Turinier uh, to ask him about uh, sort of keeping this team, his Ottawa team motivated. I mean, you haven't lost yet. You're going through the league like a buzzsaw. What buttons are you pushing? And he says, the key is a short memory. Hmm. It just, every time I go out there with the team, it's like, this is a new game. Here's what you have to do to win this game. They're not supposed to be thinking about anything they've done to date. So, as I said, I think Ottawa is by far the favorite in this series, but with Kyle Kaiser in goal and a team now that's really believing in itself after knocking off a strong Niagara team, uh, it should be a fun series in the East as well. Is there one particular thing that you're looking for from Oshawa that they might uh, be able to exploit against Ottawa? I mean, there's not a lot of holes in the 67s, but is there something, a, a matchup that you're thinking, well, that maybe they can uh, exploit that somehow? Nope. The Ottawa 67s, <laughs> the Ottawa 67s are that good and that complete. And I love the way they put it all together, much like the Saginaw spirit story, uh, a team that despite adding this year and yeah, they, they, they were pretty aggressive in, in some of the deals that they made, but they didn't like Niagara, like Guelph for those two teams. It's an all or nothing this year. Now at Niagara is already out. Guelph is still kicking around, but there will be some lean years as they do rebuilds. Ottawa, much like Saginaw, added, in in Ottawa's case, they didn't give up a roster player to make the additions that they did this year, including uh, Michael DiPietro in goal. So that just tells you how shrewd they were, both Saginaw and particularly Ottawa, strong moving forward as well. It's going to be, they're going to be some good years, certainly another good one coming up for the Ottawa 67s, and they really are, they're a complete team, even if Mikey DiPietro stumbles. They've got a guy in behind him in Cedric Andre, who was yeah. as good, if not better, numbers-wise, through the regular season. They've got firepower up front, and they've got a back end that is so mobile, moves the puck so well. I, I really don't think there is a glaring weakness that you can exploit. So from Oshawa's perspective, Kyle Kaiser is absolutely good enough to steal you a game, maybe even two. And don't get me wrong, there are players on Oshawa that can score, but can they can they do it and can they do it consistently against this Ottawa team that will grind you down is deeper, in my opinion. I don't know that they can, but unlike the wild, wild west, I would look at the Oshawa-Ottawa series and we might see some really entertaining 2-1 and 3-2 games. Before uh, you leave, Mike, I should ask you about the uh, the Kitchen Rangers and just how key this offseason is uh, for that club moving forward. What kind of an offseason are you expecting? That's a really good question. I, I what I'm expecting is the import draft, which comes up in June, to be one where the Rangers go shopping to find a little bit of help in goal. Because the way this season, this regular season, went for the Kitchen the Rangers, they got career years out of guys that are about to come of age in the OHL, move into their overage season. So if those players that are coming back as overagers can even just duplicate what they did 
during the season that just finished, it's it gives the Kitchener Rangers and their rabid fan base a whole lot of hope. If they improve, then look out. I mean, it, it, it's given the Rangers hope, I believe, that they've got a core of guys around which they can build. They made some great uh, selections in the uh, OHL entry draft back in early April. Francesco right. Pinelli, their first rounder, who they got at 13. Uh, a lot of pre-draft reports had him in the top five, so he slides down far enough that the Rangers were able to get him. Uh, they picked up a big kid, a, a lumbering defenseman, who's and he has stats for 6'5", 210. He's 16 years old, for crying out loud. <laughs> might be going the u.s route though so but if if you get them to report things like that and then you've got a, a nice young crop that's going to be a year older in the ohl plus those guys i already mentioned who have proven that they can do it at this level and if they do the same thing in their overage year that they did this year i, I think general manager mike mckenzie has every reason to believe his team can piece together a pretty nice run in 2019-2020 when you look at the landscape of the ohl you look at the guelph the team that you know is gone all in this year so they won't be there next year Erie's not quite at back etc without running through everybody in the league it's just the way things line up it could be a very good year for the Kitchener Rangers I think priority number one in this offseason is to find out if they can do anything in goal we'll watch for that a six foot uh what'd you say six foot five 210 pounds 16 year old defenseman that's exactly what I said well, we like could, who are these kids yeah <laughs> six foot five 210 we also call that a uh, double farwell it's like uh, it's like you piggybacking yourself that's accurate. I cannot <laughs> dispute that statement. <laughs> Mike, it's always great to talk to you again. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk to you again uh, relatively soon. Thanks for doing this. Already looking forward to the next time. Thanks, Keith. Farwell's the best. Uh, always a great analyst, of course, and uh, now doing the play-by-play for the Rangers, but uh, a fun guy to talk to. I first met him uh, in person in uh, 2014 at the Memorial Cup. I think that was the first time I met him in person. Might have been... Geez, would he have come to a Memorial Cup like in Saskatoon before that? Maybe he did. Uh, that might have been where I met him the, the first time. I don't remember where it was, but uh, he's fun guy to talk to and uh, obviously really uh, intelligent, knowledgeable about the sport, but he's got a sense of humor too. Uh, so great guy, great guest. Uh, always appreciate his time. Up next on the Pipeline Show, we uh, look ahead to the WHL Conference Finals. You got Edmonton in Prince Albert. Spokane on the road in Vancouver. Both of those series start tonight. We chat with Lucas Pancari from the Prince Albert Daily Herald. That's next here on the Pipeline Show. And Doc will get back to it. Doc at his blue line. Comes to center. Ducks around Leeson. In over the line on the wing. Trying to go wide around. Pahal gets in front. Shoots and scores! Ah! Oh, let's go! Kirby Doc. Puts hand to the ear as if to listen for the booze from the crowd here at the Art Harris Center. But what a brilliant individual effort by Kirby Dock. And the Blades have opened the scoring in Game 2 in Prince Albert. I'm Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades, and this is the Pipeline Show. After 
sweeping the Calgary Hitmen, your Edmonton Oil Kings are bringing the third round of the WHL playoffs to Rogers Place. As they face off with league leaders, the Prince Albert Raiders. Game three goes down at Rogers Place this Tuesday at 7 p.m. And the puck drops on game four at 7 p.m. this Wednesday. Edmonton Oil Kings, Prince Albert Raiders, Eastern Conference Finals. Fear the roar of round three in the chase for WHL supremacy. Great family entertainment at Rogers Place starts at just $22 a seat for a single game ticket. Save on day of game pricing now at oilkings.ca. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Well, I think I'm doing okay for a 15-year-old with a wife and a baby. Back on The Pipeline Show, my name is Gee Flaming. It's a in-the-dub segment. Uh, our good friends uh, at Dub Network uh, sponsor this segment uh, all season long and uh, through the summer as well. Dubnetwork.ca. Keep up to date on everything happening around the Western Hockey League on a daily basis. You can go to Dubnetwork.ca and get your daily dose of the Western Hockey League. Uh, my guest today to help preview the contra- uh, conference finals in the Western Hockey League is Lucas Pancari, who uh, writes for the Prince Albert Daily Herald, covering the mighty Prince Albert Raiders. Uh, Lucas, welcome back to the program. How are you? Well, Guy, I'm still trying to recover from the craziness that was the finish of the OHL second round, but as a whole, <laughs> I'm doing pretty well. Yes, I know you have uh, close ties uh, still with the Ontario Hockey League, but you're covering the PA Raiders. They've been the number one ranked team in the entire WHL for uh, pretty much from wire to wire uh, this season, going back to, what, mid-October, I believe it was, uh, where they became the team to beat. Uh, they get through... Uh, Pretty much unscathed in the first round. They have a, a tough battle against Saskatoon in round two, but they win it in six games. And uh, now they take on the Edmonton Oil Kings. Meanwhile, the Oil Kings, uh, they get past uh, Medicine Hat in six games, then sweep the Calgary Hitmen. They've been off for a while. Definitely have their biggest test, though, against the PA Raiders. Let's start with that series before we head out west. Uh, size up this matchup for me. You know the PA Raiders uh, as well as anybody else inside and out. What makes them so good? I think the biggest thing right now is just they're getting contributions from all over the lineup with their depth. You see, in the last series, Dante Canuda stepped up with six goals in the last three games. He came over, of course, in Victoria at the deadline. You have Noah Gregor and Brett Leeson with 12 points each. Sean Montgomery has scored seven goals in 10 playoff games. And even the youngsters that are newer players on the team, Alexei Protas, who's just been ranked pretty high by Central Scouting, has seven points. Ozzy Weisblatt has contributed already. And so... You just see all those guys contributing. It's pretty tough for teams to try and stop that. I mean, Saskatoon did a pretty good job in games three and four with some great goaltending from Nolan Meyer. But when you give them a chance and opportunity, they're going to take advantage. That's what we saw in the last two games. And they're able to put a number of goals into the blaze net. So, yeah, I would say definitely the depth. And then if they're struggling, Ian Scott's there to bail them out. 181 goals against average and 977 save percentage. Pretty darn good for a 10-game span. At this time of year, there's a lot of players uh, playing through some bumps and bruises. Uh, when you look at the Raiders, is there anything significant that might keep a player or two out? Well, going into the series, the only guy that is questionable at this point is Cole Fawcett. He got dinged up in Game 4 and missed Games 5 and 6. Uh, and Justin Knockbauer got suspended for a five-minute interference major penalty on Dawson Davidson to hit late in Game 5. So he won't be in the lineup for Friday. Uh, as a result, they brought in uh, AP Cole Nagy, who they uh, signed. Uh, was originally a Moose Warriors draft pick, became a listed player by the Raiders this past year, and Nagy had uh, 65 points in 44 games for the Saskatoon Blazers and Midgets. So he got his first taste of playoff hockey in his hometown on uh, on Sunday, I guess would have been now in game six. So uh, at this point, it's kind of wait and see on Fawn's side if he's ready to go. But again, with the depth and that kind of thing, it's just 
obviously it's a big loss, but it's not as big as it was, say, like, for example, if Edmonton was missing a Trey Fitzsolansky, losing him is obviously a big thing, or Vancouver is missing a Bowen Byron because of how pivotal they are. If a team like the Raiders, obviously it's tough, but you can just mix and match and adapt through those challenges. All right. Fair to say the uh, the Raiders are the favorites. They deserve to be the favorites in the series. They, As I mentioned, they've been the top-ranked team uh, pretty much all season long. They have home ice as well. But there is another team in the series, the Edmonton Oil Kings uh, making short work of the Calgary Hitmen, and uh, most of those games are pretty lopsided. The series against Medicine Hat went six, but again, most of those games pretty lopsided in favor of the Oil Kings. Uh, easy to say that this is going to be their biggest. Uh, it's going to be a significant step up in a level of competition to go from Calgary to Prince Albert. But uh, give me an argument of why the Oil Kings can make this a competitive series and uh, potentially could pull off an upset. Well, for starters, they actually, unlike the Saskatoon Blades, have won a game at the Art Hauser Center this year uh, back in February when I think it was a 6-3 game. They actually pulled Ian Scott in that one. So they have that in their back pocket, which helps. And it's not just, I mean, some people may look on the outside, and especially the regular season numbers, like, oh, it's the Trey Fix-Solansky show. But Emmett has got some decent depth going on as well. Uh, the addition of Andrew Fighting, I think, has helped a lot. Uh, Jake Neighbors, the rookie, is having an excellent playoff so far. And then you also have guys like Quinn Benchfield. Uh, Vince Lossky, I on defense, uh, actually was talking with uh, Noah Gregor about this earlier today. You got to be careful. They're puck moving guys. And a guy like Connor McDonald certainly is that. And I think what helps too is in goaltending right now, the way Dylan Miskew's played, I think that could help a little bit. Saskatoon kind of showed the, uh, what you can do if you're running a hot goaltender, you're able to counterattack the Raiders. You can get away with a win. So if Dylan can continue playing like he can be, um, I think that'll give Edmonton a shot. Now, granted, I'd probably still pick Prince Albert, and not just because I work covering the paper here and I want to keep my job in Prince Albert. So obviously I'm going to say the Raiders. But um, I think it's going to be a, a good test. Wilkins should provide a good challenge. I don't think it's going to be a walkover like some people think it's going to be. Uh, and just for the record, the Wilkins uh, went 1-2-1 one, and one against the Raiders this year. The Raiders obviously getting that uh, overtime a victory, so their record is three and one against Edmonton. But um, all three points that the Oil Kings got were in PA. Mm-hmm. Um, oddly enough, that the the one victory and the overtime loss uh, all in Prince Albert. Um, all right, let's look at the uh, the other conference and the uh, the Western Conference. Bit of a surprise to see the the Spokane Chiefs uh, getting through Everett in uh, just five games, uh, and they are taking on the Vancouver Giants, who uh, look like juggernauts against the uh, the Victoria Royals. Size up that matchup for me. Well, if you had told me in September that the Spokane Chiefs would have gotten to this point, I said, yeah, that's probably what I expected because I had them and the Leftbridge Hurricanes going to the league final. With so Lethbridge did I. Winning. Well, that Leftbridge pick didn't work in hindsight, but, you know, that'll happen in, in big-time junior hockey. Um, but, yeah, with Spokane, and we saw them in Prince Albert. I'll start with them first. We saw them in Prince Albert back in October, and there's not much you can take from that. It was a dominant win by the Raiders at the end of the road trip for the Chiefs. Um and Dawson Weatherall was in goal at that point. And Jared Anderson Dole would end up coming back, albeit briefly before his wrist injury, um, shortly after that road trip. So, again, not much you can take from that. But I think what stands out for me, which is now the Chiefs are finally starting to show kind of what I kind of expected them from the start of the season. They got some really good depth up front. We mentioned Jared Anderson Dole already. Eli Zumak, Riley Woods, Adam Beckman's had a great rookie campaign. And a guy I actually got to cover when I worked in North Falford uh, when he played for the Midget AAA team. So really happy to see him performing well. Everybody knows what Ty Smith can do. And the biggest thing is, I think the question mark a lot of people had coming here was, what was the goaltending going to be like? And, I mean, Bailey Birkin, the way he's played, when you beat guys like Joel Hofer and you beat Dustin Wolf, that says a lot. And I think 
maybe like I said, a little bit surprised the Chiefs took care of Everett and Spoke and Portland in five, but I think with what they have, it's going to be good there. Now with Vancouver, um, they have two of the top scorers in the league right now with Davis Koch and Bowen Byram. James Joseph provides a good weapon offensively. So is Tristan Nielsen. Jared Demetrius producing. Uh, Dallas Hines and Seth Buffaro have almost have matched or are nearing halfway through the point totals that they picked up in a limited span during the regular season after coming over in trade. And I think what's really intriguing with them is they've been dueling netminders, Trent Miner and David Tendick, the Arizona prospect. So it's going to be a really interesting series um, because I picked Spokane to get to the league final. I'm going with them here. Plus they just beat Everett <laughs> and, um, and Portland. So it's kind of hard to bet against at this point. And I mean, we, we saw what happened. Vancouver took care of Victoria, but, Seattle gave him a bit of a scare in the first round. And it's kind of wondering, I mean, Victoria is probably the lesser of the four opponents there that each team has faced. So it's interesting for me to see what Vancouver will be like going up against the Spokane side. That's, you know, a lot different than it was at the start of the season. It's kind of like what I said about the the Oil Kings and the level of competition they've been playing the last uh, two rounds. It's going to be a, a shock to the system almost to go against Spokane, just like it'll be uh, that way for uh, the Oil Kings against Prince Albert. It might be, and, and I'm, I'm actually predicting a lopsided game in game one for both of these series, just while it takes the one team to kind of raise the level of their play uh, to uh, match their opponent. But uh, you mentioned the, the Vancouver Giants. or you, When you talked about the Spokane Chiefs earlier this year when you saw them in person, it very similar to my feeling about Vancouver. They came through here in Edmonton on uh, New Year's Day. They were without uh, Milos Roman at the time. But they did, they didn't play well. They were not a good looking team at all. I was very unimpressed with the Giants, but they've definitely turned it around, uh, and look like a team that, um, uh, it's going to take a, a complete team effort here from the Chiefs to knock off the Giants. But I, I think I'm with you. I think I'm picking uh, Spokane in that series as well. Um, give me an argument of why the Giants could win though. Well, I, I think part of it is you have the dueling net Myers and minor and 10 Nick. You may have a little bit more trust in them than Bailey Birkin. No offense to what Bailey Birkin's doing. And, with Vancouver, I think the depth, too, is what really stands out. I mean, look at the point total so far. Koch is at 14 points. Byram's at 13. Nielsen's at 10. They have a whole bunch of guys of nine points. Dimitri, Dylan Plouffe on defense. Lucas Fachowski on uh, up front. Jane Joseph has eight points. Owen Hardy, Dawson at seven points. So it's kind of like the Raiders, in a sense, where they have a lot of guys that contribute offensively. Maybe, you know, Justin Sorrows only played half the playoff game through the entry, and Milos Rowan only has five points. But when everybody else is contributing, it's kind of hard to kind of key on maybe stopping one or two guys that is to try stopping three or four guys. I agree with that. Uh, the WHL Bantam draft, all, not all that far away. Uh, of course, the, the big offseason news will be the uh, the moving of the Kootenai Ice to Winnipeg. Um, how does that change things uh, from your perspective? Uh, obviously, a little bit of uh, divisional realignment here with uh, the ice who will be joining the Eastern uh, Division and the uh, Swift Current Broncos will move back to the, uh, the Central Division. How does that sort of change the landscape uh, in the Eastern Conference, in your opinion? Well, I think we'll start off with the Swift current perspective. I, I mean, Swift had a rough year last year, and they have a lot of young pieces, but I think it's going to be tougher for them to move up in the standings next year, going to the Central, where there's going to be some pretty darn good teams there. Calgary and Edmonton especially. Leftbridge still has weapons, but Hat will still be pretty solid. Red Deer loses some pieces, but it's still good, as opposed to out in the East, where Regina, I think, looks really rough. And then Moose Jaw is obviously going to be losing some pieces. And so I think for Winnipeg, it'll be a good transition there. Um, sounds like sales are going well, so it should be fun. And you have that brand ride, which will be pretty interesting. I actually talked to Prince Albert product 
uh, Braden Snyder about that just before he got announced to the uh, U18 team. I was asking Braden about that. I was like, it was, yeah, we already got that build-in rivalry, and we haven't even played a game yet. So that's mm. going to be pretty fun. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Plus, um, this is kind of for selfish reasons, it allows me to see Peyton Krebs, Connor McLennan, and incoming rookie Carson Lambos on a more regular basis. So I'm excited about that for sure. But I'm I, I'm curious how things are going to play out, uh, especially there, and how you know do we start to finally see that improvement as well of all the young talent that Kootenay ha- or has been in Kootenay now going to Winnipeg. Now, tough question to ask when it comes to the draft, but we saw the big trade uh, that um, the the ice made to acquire the rights of Carter Savoy, and and Matthew Savoy would be the uh, overwhelming favorite to go number one overall, except for the whole NCAA commitment to, to Denver, which is where Carter's going. So. The big move there by the ice and picking up uh, the older brother, hopefully uh, wooing the family and uh, allowing both brothers uh, to go to uh, Winnipeg. That would be a huge coup for the ice. But do you think it works? Uh, do you think uh, you know it's it's obviously a tough question to ask you, but um, in, in you know a month from now, do we see the ice having uh, pulled off the unlikely and uh, getting uh, the Savoys? Well, I think obviously, I think in getting him, you set the stage like, all right, you're probably going to draft Matt. And I think what helps um, with Winnipeg is that they also have another pick in the first round because they got uh, one from Red Deer in the uh, trade for Brett Davis and Cam Housinger. So you can take more of the sure thing with that pick if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what also helps as well is because of the way the um, – let's say you're unable to get Matt right away. or Maybe you play the long game and wait until he comes next year. Or maybe there's a situation where you could trade to get something if you're contending. Remember, you can – you can't trade signed 15-year-olds, but unsigned 15-year-olds you could still trade. So if you wanted to, in the year or two down the line, you could potentially trade the rights to Matt Savoy if you want him to a team that he may want to report to. So in a sense, it could work out pretty decently for Winnipeg if you're in that situation where you're like, okay, we can't get him, but we can get this. We can trade him, get some picks for maybe the next year, and get an actual roster player in that can help us going forward if you're in a situation next year where maybe you're or the year after we're really contending with the likes of Krebs and McLennan and Lambos. That's a great point. Uh, great point, especially considering the, the second uh, first round pick that they have. Uh, you've pointed a, a really plausible scenario there. We might see uh, them take a gamble uh, on Savoy and, uh, and bank that for the future. That's a, a great point, Lucas. Uh, well, Lucas, I really appreciate your time. The uh, series gets going in Prince Albert on Friday, games one and two in PA, games uh, three and four. In Edmonton on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, are you making the drive? Tuesday, Wednesday, probably not, just because I'm the only sports guy at the paper, so I don't think they'd be too kind of me leaving for three days and leaving without a guy to help out with a layout. Uh, potentially <laughs> game six, we'll kind of play it by ear. Uh, obviously, besides the Raiders, a lot of stuff going on in the community as well, so keep an eye on that. But, yeah, no, we'll have uh, articles up online on the uh, PA Herald website, and then just follow me on Twitter at Alpuncari, and I'll be live tweeting there. Especially for those who are trying to get tickets to the Art Houser for Game One and Two, yeah, that's not going to happen. It's already sold out. So um, your best bet may be traveling to Edmonton. I know there's a fan bus for Raiders fans, but by the time this is getting posted online, it's probably already sold out as well. So it's going to be pretty hard to try and get tickets to go see the Raiders here in Prince Albert. But if you go down to Edmonton, you probably have a pretty good shot. Oh, that'd be great to uh, fill the building here. That'd be terrific for sure, uh, and great fan support in PA. Seeing the videos and stuff of. The bus pulling into town after that that series with Sask, dude. That's just fantastic to see a, a town really rallying behind uh, the Raiders like that. Terrific. Mm-hmm. And it's been a long time coming too. This is the, they hadn't won a playoff series since 2005, and they're obviously their best team that they've had here, arguably since the Memorial Cup run in '85. So it's been a pretty exciting time here, and we'll see uh, how everything keeps going here in the next week or two. Excellent, Lucas. Really appreciate your time. Talk to you soon. All right, you take care.
Lucas Pancari from the uh, Daily Herald in Prince Albert, and uh, told that there are a lot of people who will be uh, traveling to games three and four in Edmonton from northern Saskatchewan uh, because they can't get tickets at the Art Hauser because it's uh, a much smaller barn, obviously, and it's uh, completely sold out. So there's going to be a lot of people who are driving to Edmonton uh, to get tickets, and that's uh, <laughs> that's fantastic because the atmosphere in, at Rogers Center or Rogers Place, rather, in downtown Edmonton, so far in the playoffs has been not great, not really a playoff atmosphere. It's been like a regular season game uh, each time the Oil Kings have played in the postseason. The fans that are there are great. It's just such a big building that uh, it doesn't come across as a terrific atmosphere. So if they pack it with, uh, you know, listen, they've been getting about 6,000 uh, Oil King fans out. If they can bump that up to you know 10 and then add two or three more thousand PA fans, oh, that'd be fantastic. So let's hope that that happens and uh, we get much more of a playoff-like atmosphere. Be tough. It's a Tuesday, Wednesday, so uh, uh, midweek games, they are always uh, tougher to draw. But, you know, listen, even if we could see like nine or 10,000, uh, that would be a vast improvement. Randy, you can hear all those games on TSN 1260. Andrew Peard is in uh, Prince Albert getting set for tonight's broadcast. All right, one more segment to go on uh, this week's show. For this one, we are uh, unlocking the vault, a conversation that Dean Millard and I had going way back to 2009 as we spoke with uh, former Edmonton Oiler first-round pick Robbie Shrimp. That's coming up next here on the Pipeline Show. Now near side white, far side Krebs, wrist shot, scores! Peyton Krebs, a wrist shot from the far side, and gets by Bailey Birkin. Hey, it's Peyton Krebs from the Kootenai Ice, and this is the Pipeline Show. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. And here he is, having the time of his life. Welcome back to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. The question out of the day this week, uh, as I mentioned in the opening segment of the show, was basically uh, I ran into some trouble because a guest that I had lined up fell through at the uh, very last minute. Um, so I put the poll question up, uh, what people wanted me to do, whether it was just run with the three interviews that I already had, I tried to find somebody last minute, which I did try to do, uh, and that also didn't work out. Or uh, do I want to pull something out of the archive uh, from years gone by? And that was the uh, the one that we're going to go with. And uh, this interview was suggested by, or at least the, the, the player in the interview, was suggested by Alan Mitchell from TSN 1260's uh, Lowdown with Low Tide. You can hear that from uh, 10 a.m. to noon, Monday to Friday, and then he's also got another show on the weekend as well. Anyway, the interview is with uh, Rob Schremp, former first-round pick of the Edmonton Oilers. This comes in uh, 2009. Uh, the two voices you'll hear asking the questions, myself and uh, Dean Millard, former uh, co-host here on the Pipeline Show for uh, most of the uh, history of the, uh, the Pipeline Show. And this was at a tumultuous time in the relationship between player and organization. Schremp was on the farm that year, 
He had call, been called up earlier in the season. I know part of this is going to get explained by Dino uh, at the start, so I'm not going to go into great detail, but this really was sort of probably not the beginning of the end, but it might have been the end of the beginning. How about that? Of Rob Schrem's uh, NHL career. He did eventually go on. He got uh, put on waivers. The Islanders claimed him, and he had 25 points in like 40 games, I think, something, something along the lines like that in his first uh, year with the Islanders. I know there was some injury there as well. Uh, the second uh, go-around wasn't as good, and then he was done in the NHL, went over to Europe, played some again in the American Hockey League, and is now retired as a hockey player. Always really liked Rob Shrimp as a person. I have found I thought his personality was really good. I know it, it, he, he rubbed some people the wrong way. That wasn't me. Uh, we were in London for the 2014 Memorial Cup. Myself, uh, Corey Graham with the Edmonton Oil Kings, and uh, Shrimp was there. Uh, the, uh, the London Knights were uh, hosting the uh, the tournament that year. He had come back to hang out with uh, a lot of alum that were around. Uh, he was happy to come and uh, do an intermission with us. I saw him later that night at a local establishment. We chit-chatted for a long time. It was great. He he was always a really good guy to, uh, well, at least to me. I must have done 20 interviews with him, whether it was with the Pipeline Show or with Hockey's Future. He was just always really engaging and never ducked a tough question. And there are several of them in this conversation uh, that we had. This goes uh, way back. What was the date on this? This was January 13th. 2009, this is uh, Rob Shrimp, one of his final appearances uh, on the Pipeline Show. Dean Millard and I in conversation with Rob Shrimp. Here it is. Well, it's been a pretty big focus here the last couple of days in Edmonton, the comments that Craig McTavish made recently about Rob Shrimp. And here on the Pipeline Show, we had a chance to get in touch with Rob Shrimp and get his side of the story and his reaction. Here's a conversation that Guy and I had earlier this evening. Rob, thanks for joining us. Uh, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. Uh, what's it like in uh, Springfield tonight? Oh, it's good. Yeah, Springfield's been good, so just hanging out with the guys tonight and having a little team night, Pete, tonight. <clears throat> That's good to know. Uh, well, obviously, we'll get uh, kind of just right to it, and uh, Craig Matavish was asked the other day uh, when Ryan Petolny was called up uh, about, uh, you know, why Ryan Petolny, why not Rob Shrimp, and obviously he uh, for whatever reason, went on a bit of a tangent. I don't agree with how he said it publicly. I know Guy does, and uh, obviously some of the things that he said about you uh, weren't very flattering. Uh, I'll just, for our listeners, read the quote. He said, uh, we all know what he can do. He's got decent hands. He can play the power play okay, but he's slow. He's not a physical player. He's soft at the NHL level. There are a lot of things in his games that he needs to address to be that guy to get called up. It's getting to the point where we've got to be honest, he's not helping them particularly in Springfield right now. And there's no reason to think he's going to come up here and help us. I'm a little bit baffled why a coach would come out publicly and say that. And you know, when you were called up, you had three points in four games. I thought you played particularly well. You were given lots of ice time. And the entire team in Springfield is struggling. Um, but, you know, your comments when you first hear that, uh, does it kind of make you wince a little bit? I don't know. It's obviously tough to hear, but, um, you know... Personally, I'd like you know it would have been nicer to have that address to me personally, maybe face to face and or over the phone than have it public like that and uh, you know put out there for everybody to hear. And uh, it's, it's hard to hear, but uh, you know obviously that's that's how he feels. I mean that's how he feels. Things are tough down here right now as far as Springfield. I mean obviously there's uh, you know we're in a tough spot with our team and where we are in the standings. So it's 
you know, it's pretty rough to, to be down here right now. We're all trying to get through it together, though. It's been good. At least, you know, the team hasn't been, you know, gone away from each other at any point, and we're all kind of sticking together. And, you know, as we might be a last place right now, but, you know, as far as the dressing room-wise, we're not a last place team. But we're all stuck together, and we know we, we're capable of better. We're trying to do better, and we're all working hard down here. So, um, you know, it's just a tough time right now. But, you know, those comments, like I said, it, it would have been it's obviously tough to hear uh, in the form that I did, but uh just another bump in the road i guess so you know it's been there's been plenty of those and uh just a little little more controversy that i have to get over and work through and be a good pro about it and just kind of brush it off rob when you were up here the first two games you played you got three points and the remarks from the coach the reviews in those games were glowing like he spoke very highly of you uh two games later you get reassigned was there any indication from the the staff or the brass up here in Edmonton that you were being reassigned because your play had dropped off or that they were unhappy with your play. Did they send you back down with any sort of message on when you could expect to be recalled? Uh, you know, not really. You basically just said, you know, there's no room here right now. And I knew that. And I knew that pretty clear. It was pretty clear to me. Even when I got called up, I knew why I was up and Robert Nielsen was out for whatever, you know, extended time he was out and, when he came back, I was probably going to be reassigned. I mean, that wasn't told me, but that's just, you kind of, as you go on, you learn how to read the writing on the wall, and that was on the wall for me. So, um, and as far as my play, you know, they, the only indication I was told is that they were happy, really happy with how I played and how my game progressed. And, um, you know, little things like, you know, such as my speed and how I picked up my pace in practice and in the game. So, uh, I just thought it was all positive. I didn't realize that it was such a negative time for me right now, but, uh, maybe I need to go back to the drawing board and figure things out. True or false, Rob, when you were sent down, were you told that if there was an injury in the top six that you'd be the first guy called up? I, uh, I don't know. It's kind of indicated, yeah, that you know, I've proved that I deserve a spot or deserve a chance, not a spot, but a chance to be there. And If there was a chance for a top two spot, a top two line spot that I would you know, more than likely be getting the call. So it's, uh, that's part of the business, I guess. You just got to learn. Take a day at a time and don't worry about what people say. Just kind of do what you can do to be there and do, do what you can do to get your opportunity. Did, That's did, learned out of this. Yeah, did Craig McTavish talk to you, you know, when you were then sent, sent down about what he thought of your play uh, in the four games with the Oilers? Yeah, he just indicated to me that he was happy and he thought that my games progressed and I was doing the right things to um, give myself a better opportunity to play. And, you know, like he, I think he said even in his own interviews before that before it was kind of, um, you know, if you know, maybe maybe chance that I'd be an NHL player, and he was he thought that my play the last four games that I was up was indicated that I was ready to play and ready for my opportunity. So I did, yeah, I think that's that's more of what I was focused on. <clears throat> Rob Shrimp, the Springfield Falcons, joining Millard and Flaming here on the Pipeline Show, uh, courtesy of the Mad Brothers Hotline. And you know, this might be a difficult question, and you know, I don't blame you if you don't want to answer it. But do you start to wonder about your future with this organization when things like this happen? No, I don't know, not really. You know, this this is the team that drafted me. This is the team I want to play for. I, you know, I've always wanted to be an Oiler since day one. And I think, uh, you know, I've done done my best and doing what they've asked and. You know, I'm down. I've been down here for two and a half years now, and I've been trying to adjust my game and um, play the way they would like me to play and be more responsible and stuff as far as that. So, um, as far as right now, it's all I can keep doing is obviously I need to be faster and more physical if that's what they want, and it's all I can do is uh, accommodate them. It's it's how it is, and that's how it's going to be. They're the boss, and I'm the employee. So, 
I just have to uh, stay focused and and uh, do what I can to get back to, to where I want to be. Rob, uh, compare the the season at the start of the year for you in Springfield to to where it is now, and you are basically a point per game guy for the first I want to say twenty twenty five games, uh, and things have kind of uh, slowed down for you productive wise, but for the for the team as in whole as well. But I'm looking at your stats. I think you've you're, you've got one point in the last six or seven or eight games, something like that, and you've been a, a minus in a bunch of those games. Has your play tailed off, in your opinion, since you've been uh, re- since you went back down to Springfield? You know, as far as point wise, I believe you know my my game. Obviously, I haven't been putting up points, and it's not for lack of effort or lack of caring. And um, I think anybody can vote for that here in the minors. I think anybody you ask, you know, I'm not out there lollygagging. <laughs> I'm working my ass off and and trying to do the right things, the small things, right right now. And we're uh, we're in a bit of a rut here as a team and it's it's really hard to be honest with you i mean i think everybody's having a hard time and in one of our quotes one of our guys said in the paper you know i've never seen you know a group of guys being a slump at the same time and that's what it is here we I mean we're we're all working hard and we all want the same goal and you know nobody's deviating away from the plan everyone's keeping the structure but it's it's like the small things we're not scoring goals we're getting like a goal a game right now and it's it's tough to produce and uh, as a professional, I guess you got to take that upon yourself to, to figure out a way. And that's what we're doing now. We're at the chalkboard every day trying to figure out what we can do better as a team. And personally, myself, uh, I need to figure out what I need to do to help this team down here and help them put up points and, and win games. What do you think has been, been the difference? You know, I look at the roster and there's a lot of guys in their first or second years of, of pro hockey, and then there's been a few guys shuttling up and down from, from the pro team. Is it as simple as, you know, inexperience and not enough cohesion because guys have been in and out of the lineup or is there something deeper to where you guys were pretty decent at the start of the year and then everybody goes into a slump at the same time as you put it. Can you put your finger on why? No, it's been tough. You know, the lineup's been different every every weekend. It seems like, you know, there's been injuries. Um, call-ups has been a lot more call-ups this year. Um, you know, there's tons of, uh, there's plenty of excuses out there for us to have, but, uh you know, we haven't gone that route. We're we're working our like I said, we're working our asses off here trying to get it back on track and get it the right way. And Shuri and Jerry and David Bell have been uh great coaches down here for the first half of the year. I mean, they're really hard working and they're trying to give us the information that we need to get better and um you know, I think a lot of a lot of our problem is is just we make the worst uh worst mistakes at the worst time. And we we'll play a fifty minute game unbelievable and then we'll have a lapse of five minutes where we just kind of fall asleep uh, you know i don't know what that's due to but you can call it an experience uh you know having a young team or whatnot but it just happens every game we have a five down five minute letdown and then they seem to score one or two goals and then we're mm-hmm. we're behind the eight ball so uh it's just a matter of playing a full 60 minutes you know and we'll learn we'll get it together we have a good, like i said we have a good group of guys here that want to win and that want to work hard so it's not for uh lack of effort or caring down here it's, there's plenty of guys that care and work hard so it's going to come around for us and, and the fact that it is as you said, the entire team really seems to be slumping. It's kind of like you're going through it together as a team, and as you said, because the team is still all on the same page, eventually you're going to come out of it as a team as well, and maybe in the long run it's kind of a learning experience that you can benefit from. Absolutely. I think everybody needs to learn how to go through the ups and downs of pro hockey. and um, uh, I think plenty of guys are getting that experience. This is obviously one of the worst experiences you can have being in a losing skid like this, but like I said, there's a positive out of every negative, and I think we're uh, we're going to find a way to find a positive out of this. We're gonna, you know, we won a game on Sunday with a big road win for us. Uh, we had an overtime loss on Friday against Hartford. We played one of our best games, so things are coming back around on track. 
Um, Saturday wasn't a great game for us, but uh, you know, even then we still played decent enough to win the game. We could have won that game. We just we got stoned by a goalie, by a hot goalie, and those are going to happen. It's pro hockey. There's you know these are some of the best players in the world. You know, obviously lower than the NHL, but still one of the best leagues in the world. And you're not going to be able to just you know score goals at will. We're we're working hard for what we earn right now, and things aren't coming as easy they like as we'd like them to be. But we just like I said, keep our nose to the grindstone, and we're gonna. I think we're gonna pull out of this wall. I think we we still have a really good chance to make a playoffs. I think we rally around last weekend and get some momentum going into this weekend, we'll be fine. Uh, Rob, we'll end on a positive and just ask you about your former team. And uh, they win the John Tavares sweepstakes. Uh, the rich keep getting richer in London, and it looks like the Knights are going to go on another pretty good run with Kadri and, and Tavares and the Hunters there. Yeah, obviously the Hunters, aren't, uh, they're not dumb people. They know exactly what they're doing, and they know exactly how to put an NHL team together. Or, well, they know how to run a team like an NHL, I should say. Sorry, but... Um, you know, they, they play in the NHL for a long time. They have experience and, uh, it's amazing how they run their organization. They always seem to find the best players possible for the best deals. And, uh, they got another great deal, John Tavares. And it's just a credit to Mark Hunter and Dale and, you know, their brains of the operation. Um, like I said, every year they managed to find something. Even when they lost Sammy and, and Patrick Kane, they, they managed to put together a product on the ice for the fans and for the city of London. Um, you know, getting Tavares is just another, it's on, you know, it's, you, I don't even, it doesn't even really phase me now. I'm not even surprised that they got the Bears. I know Mark is, he wants what he wants and he finds a way to get it. Well, and I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if they are running an NHL team at some point because uh, they're that oh, successful. Yeah. Those, and... guys have, those guys will be in the NHL eventually. They're, they're unbelievably smart and hockey and the business side of it as well. They know how to, they know how to do it. And uh, Rob, we hope you're in the NHL sometime soon. And, uh, you know, we ultimately hope it's uh, with the Evan Oilers. Thanks so much for talking to us. I know it uh, hasn't been the best of times in Springfield, and we appreciate you uh, coming on the program. No problem. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thanks, Rob. There we go. There's Rob Shrimp. Um, you know, to me, sounded pretty diplomatic. Um, a hint that he was a little bit, you know, frustrated or upset. And, uh, you know, I don't particularly blame him. I'm not sure Craig McTavish's comments, per se, were really out of line. Just that he made those comments. Like, every coach blows up at players at some point. You know, players going to have to take the criticism. Rob Shrimp has done that. I just don't understand why Craig McTavish did it, and I don't think Rob and a lot of Oilers fans do. It almost it almost sounds to me and seems to me that like Craig McTavish almost resents the popularity that Shrimp has with Oilers fans and that their hopes and are that this guy gets an opportunity. I mean, you look, Shrimp plays that game, his first game, and he gets his first point, and the, the raucous ovation that he got. I think it almost rubs Craig McTavish the wrong way, as if this guy hasn't earned anything yet. Why are you guys cheering for him so much? You know, mm-hmm. that's almost the impression that I'm getting, and mm. it seems like he he's almost kind of getting tired of hearing the name brought up. And maybe in that case, on that day, that's what it was. It's like, man, why are you guys keep asking yeah. me about shrimp? And Craig McTavish, as a media person, I'll say it. He he says what's on his mind. He doesn't hold yeah, back. We, I appreciate that yeah. because we're in the media. Um, you know, and, and this has obviously been an interesting story, but uh, it, it's going to be an interesting offseason for Rob Shrimp because he's a restricted free agent. The Oilers basically just have to offer him a 10% raise, and, you know, that's the qualifying offer. I'm sure that Rob Shrimp's agent probably is bar. Rob Shrimp is the type of guy that teams could trade away, and he catches on with another organization in a good situation and, and is motivated. And, you know, not that he's not motivated now, but comes back to haunt teams. It, it happens all the time where one team gives up on another player. And, you know, and listen, can this can this relationship between Mac T and Rob Shrimp be resolved? Sure. Coaches blow up at guys all the time. You know, he blew up at Robert Nielsen. He's blown up at Dustin Penner. 
you know, I've noticed he hasn't blown up at Ethan Morrow, Fernando Bassani, Sean Horkoff, or some of the other veterans. He's picked some younger guys that uh, maybe are a little bit easier targets to, to, to blow up at. But it happens. Guys do that all the time. Coaches do it all the time. Uh, it's not often a guy does it publicly about a guy who's not even on his roster. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's the sad part. Yeah, I mean, hypothetically, let's just speculate that the Oilers are, would even consider moving Rob Shrimp now in a deal. What do you get for him when your coach is like publicly panning the guy? I mean, uh, you're going to call up a GM and say, you know, we, Rob Shrimp, he's 145 mm. points his last year in the OHL. Yeah, but your coach just said he's not an NHL player. You know, what does that do to his value? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. if anything, it's probably a similar deal like Danny Savret for Ryan Petolny. If if yeah. there is a trade, right, in a minor league for a minor leaguer, and yeah. you know, I don't know, it, it'll be interesting to see, and you know, whether this is a, a grand big story in the grand scheme of things. Certainly, it is for us because we deal with the prospects, and it's gotten a lot of play in the last little while. But uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays out, and you know, Rob Tramp's always been good about talking to us. He, he doesn't duck very the issues, so uh, we certainly appreciate that, and and we'll see how this plays out. It, it will be very interesting to see if Rob Trent gets called up. Again, because this is going to come up again if Rob Shrimp gets called up. You oh, know absolutely. it has to call, come up, yeah. and it'll be interesting to see how Craig McTavish reacts. Like Craig McTavish has said stuff before about, you know, I've never seen a guy who hasn't played that much get this much attention. He said that in the past. So your theory about that is, is kind of interesting. There you go. That's a uh, conversation from 2009. Dean Millard and I had with uh, Robbie Shrimp of the... Uh, Edmonton Oilers, or at least part of the organization at that point, and uh, hope you enjoyed that. That's something I like to do more often in the uh, offseason is uh, pull something out in the archive. I share it with uh, the patrons at patreon.com. Call it the Superstar Rewind. Sometimes we'll run a poll, or I'll run a poll and see who, uh, you know, throw out three or four options and see which interview uh, people want to hear the most, but that's kind of an example of uh, of that. So one of the perks, if you want to uh, sign up to be a patron, thanks to all of those who have done so to be a patron at patreon.com slash the pipeline show. That wraps up this week's episode of the program. Next week, we'll continue on looking at the CHL playoffs, maybe a USHL playoff update. We'll see what else is going on and at least one 2019 draft spotlight segment that's already in, uh, in planning. And uh, maybe we'll check in on the World U18s happening over in Sweden as well. So lots to talk about next week. Between now and then, get out and watch some junior hockey. Can't say college hockey anymore as that's done for the year, but uh, get out and watch some prospect hockey so that you and I can talk about it next week here on the Pipeline Show. Till then, everybody. See ya.